This is a Pivotal Conversations podcast. Hello and welcome to the Girl Fit Method podcast. I'm your host, Natasha Wakefield, and I am here to help you take charge of your health, get empowered, and ultimately become the best version of yourself. Let's go. Hello and welcome back to the podcast, guys. I am super excited to be sharing with you today's podcast episode with Crystal, the IBS FODMAP dietitian on Instagram. Uh, We talk all things IBS, all things bloating, digestive issues, FODMAPs, and a whole range of other topics. I know that you guys are going to get a whole load of value from this. This has been one of my most requested topics digestion. Um, So I know a lot of you deal with issues in particular around bloating. So this podcast episode is going to be very helpful for you all. But before we dive into it, I do just want to remind you, this is the last few days that I have our Black Friday special available, guys. So when you sign up to our 16-week coaching program, you are going to be getting an additional four weeks of coaching for free. This is incredible. We do this once a year. So if you've been on the fence about signing up, now is the time. So I will have the link to the application form in the show notes. Submit your application. If you can't find a suitable time to book in a call with me, just send me a DM on Instagram, send me an email, and I will be able to slot you in at a convenient time for you. All right, let's get into today's podcast episode. Hello, and welcome back to the podcast, guys. So. On today's podcast episode, I have a very special guest with me. I have Crystal, who is the IBS FODMAP dietitian here. How are you going, Crystal? Great. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me on today. My absolute pleasure. I am so excited to be able to dive in and have a bit of a chat around all things gut health, IBS. Um, I know that a lot of my listeners struggle with digestive issues. It's actually been one of the most requested topics. So it does affect a lot of us out there. So I know that you're going to be able to share some really good value and tips um, for all the listeners. However, I want to get to know you a little bit better first. So do you want to tell us a little bit about yourself, who you are, and I suppose what's led you up to this point in your life? Yeah, absolutely. So I am an accredited practicing dietitian. I'm based on the Gold Coast here in Queensland, and I do quite fortunately work with people both all over Australia and all over the world, mainly with uh, people struggling with IBS and other digestive disorders. Uh, IBS, I'm sure, as you mentioned, a lot of the people that you work with struggle with gut issues. IBS is as common as one in five. Like so, so many people do struggle with gut issues. Uh, so my whole whole job, my whole business is um, centered around that, helping people to find symptom relief, pinpoint if they do have any food triggers, as well as sort of improving food anxiety and getting as much variety as possible back into their diet. Wonderful. One in five. That's insane. Up to one in five. Yeah. So different different countries have kind of have different statistics around it, but incredibly, incredibly common. How interesting. So is would that statistic um, be valid here for us Australians? Is it one in five? Um, somewhere between, I would say somewhere between one in five to maybe one in seven here in Australia. Right. right. And has the has that increased over time or is it just that we're more aware of it now? 
I think it's always hard with research to know, is it increasing or is it more awareness? Are more people with, particularly with Instagram, there's definitely more awareness with accounts like mine, spreading that awareness and people seeking help. Um, I would say it's probably increasing, but I couldn't say that for certain without knowing the research. Yeah. Okay. So what, like, was there anything in particular that drew you to this profession to want to be a dietitian? And then also this niche that you work with, like really honing in on, on helping people with IBS? I think originally becoming a dietitian, it was a bit of a fluke, but probably um, something within me was calling to it. I'm not sure. Um, but it really, it was, I grew up on a farm. I grew up with a family of food allergies and I always had an interest in cooking and fresh, you know, fresh produce being on a farm. So that kind of led me into being a dietitian originally. In terms of the IBS niche and people with digestive disorders, I myself have IBS. Um, I first had symptoms when I was about 16. I just changed high schools. And um, for all the better part of five, six years, my symptoms were quite severe. And I suffered in silence, never really sought help, didn't know IBS was a diagnosis, didn't know there was anything I could do about it. Uh, So as soon as I discovered there was something to do about, you can do about it and how much diet and lifestyle plays that role, then that's when I was like, this is where I want to be. This is, you know, I sorted myself out, of course, first, and then went into the research, started learning more about it and really helping clients around it. That's awesome. Yeah, there's something about, I suppose, going through something yourself that helps you to really... I guess, empathize with the people that you work with. And it's so true. Honestly, having digestive issues, so myself also have IBS and it can be really detrimental to so many different areas of your life. When you have digestive issues and you're constantly dealing with them, it's um, it takes its toll on you. Like it's horrible feeling sick all the time, having issues with diarrhea, constipation, like all of that, you know, it's especially when it's ongoing and it's chronic um, and it can really impact all different areas of your life and can feel really frustrating, especially when you have no idea why you're having the symptoms. And it can sometimes be a matter, I know with my own journey, it was like, oh, it's this food. Oh, no, it's not. It's this food. It's this food. And um. I guess you can speak to this a bit more, but I think it seems to really vary from person to person what kind of exacerbates the condition or um, gives you a flare-up. And so it's not really a one-size-fits-all. It's kind of a journey you have to go on to figure out what works for you and what doesn't work for you. Absolutely. I think it's a journey. It's a bit of a long journey and it's more of a puzzle. Um, IBS is not one thing. I think so often we do think, it's gluten, it's dairy, you know, try and we want to blame one food. We want to have that answer because it would make it so much easier. But in reality, it is so many, so many factors that we put together for ourselves to find what works for our body, what that story actually means. And on the other side of that, that's what research is still trying to figure out. Like their IBS used to be this sort of broad spectrum diagnosis for people with these general symptoms, but we're learning more and more about what's actually causing IBS, why it's occurring. And I think as we learn that, we will get more answers for people and more solutions as well as that comes with it. And like you were saying, I think If you don't have IBS, I don't think you can truly understand how much it impacts your life. Like you think it's just a bit of bloating or, you know, it's just a bit of constipation, but in reality, it affects your everyday. Like I have clients or even myself, there's times where I don't want to leave the house for days at a time. Like I have clients that haven't left the house for years or can't take their kids to school. um, And just as well as the pain that comes along with that is just so debilitating. 
Yeah, it's terrible. So do we mm. know from the research what the main causes are for IBS? I would say no. We have ideas of what's driving it and there's different um, different things that do drive it. One is that gut-brain communication. So there appears to be some miscommunication in the way that our brain and our gut communicate. So in terms of like normal digestive functions, like food moving through our system, that stretching of the gastrointestinal tract is sent up as a signal to the brain. The brain then sends a signal back of pain. So there's something going wrong in that in that communication. Um, so brain, definitely brain gut communication. Uh, the other one, a common one can be after sort of food poisoning. So we call it post-infectious IBS. So something happens when you get gastro or different kinds of food poisoning, and it's upsetting the balance of bacteria and some immune responses in the system. And that can also trigger IBS. Um, motility changes is another driver of IBS. So we have slow motility and fast motility. So essentially how quickly food moves through the system. Some people have really slow motility. So um, particularly in constipation, everything's just like just moving through the system. That's then triggering symptoms as well. So there are three reasons. There are lots and lots of different drivers that we're learning about. And some people have one driver. Some people have multiple drivers. So some people have gut-brain communication issues, slow motility, and maybe it started after an infection as well. So there's lots of different factors that wow. come into it. And mm. is it genetic? So is it part, because I've heard, I don't know if this is a myth, but I've heard that you, you're like, you take from your mother's digestion, like stomach issues or any kind of digestive issues comes from your mother's side of the family. Is that true? No, I think that I might be a bit of a No, it's... Um, it's not genetic in the sense that they're finding genes or anything that um, are in common between people, but we do see clusters of, of it in family. So whether that's environmental, you know, you grow up eating the same foods, whether it's stress, whether it's you know, lots of different factors that come into it. So there's clusters in family, but there's no genetic component necessarily. Okay. So that's a myth because I've always thought that. Yeah. I've always just blamed my mum. Yeah, it's oh, a myth. I, my mum has it as well. And I'm like, maybe, but I think it's probably more environmental than anything and learnt behaviours. Yeah, yeah, potentially. And I, I want to delve in a little bit more around the connection between the brain and the gut. So, you know, I guess like a lot of research is coming out about that specifically and the connection between anxiety and stress and our ability to um, have a well-functioning digestive system. So can you talk a little bit to that? Yeah. So stress comes in in a couple of ways. One main factor comes down to we have our parasympathetic and our sympathetic nervous system, so different types of nervous systems. The sympathetic system is what we commonly call the, um, the stress state. So the fight or flight mode. And then parasympathetic would be our rest and digest mode. So if you're constantly in this state of stress, so you're constantly in that sympathetic nervous system, when we're in that, it's, it's the system that's built for us to run from tigers and to feel anxiety and to feel scared and angry and all of those big emotions because it's our protective mechanism. So when you're constantly in that fight or flight mode, the body is prioritizing where the energy goes. So it's sending energy to your muscles and to your brain and getting you to run and fight which makes sense in the sense of the digestive system is on the opposite end of the spectrum. So if you're not in that parasympathetic system as often, or you're in that stress state all the time, digestion slows down. It's not prioritized. Things are going to move through slowly. 
things are going to have issues. You're going to feel bloating. You're going to feel these other symptoms because you're constantly in that state of stress. That's yeah, that's exactly what I bring up with my girls because you think about it, having a well-functioning digestive system isn't really needed for our survival, right? So when you're in that position where your body is in this state of stress, it's yeah. going to really prioritize processes in the body that we need in order to get ourselves, you know, away from that stressful environment, if that's the way that the body's perceiving um, the position that it's in, right? So we don't need, we don't need to have a well well-running digestive system and it can it can draw away from that and even with myself I know that if I get stressed for whatever reason the next day I know I'm going to be sick in my stomach and I know I'm going to be bloated and every single time I am I can see within myself as such a such a strong connection between the two things and I think that's where you know trying as much as you possibly can to manage stress levels and it can be hard because sometimes we can have that chronic anxiety, right? Or we don't even really, we're not really aware that we are consistently anxious. And so sometimes I think you can think, why am I so sick in my stomach all the time? Maybe it's something I'm eating. And we're not actually aware that we're not in a state of rest. We're not in a state of our body being relaxed. We're, we're, you know, we're tense, we're clenching all the time um, and we're stressed. We're chronically stressed, which has, you know, obviously, has a really negative impact on our digestion. Absolutely. I think we have different ideas of what stress means. So sometimes clients will say to me, I don't feel stressed. I don't, you know, work, work is fine. I don't feel stressed, but stress has different forms. It means differently things. And some people do live in that kind of chronic state of stress or anxiety that it's, it's there all the time. And it's not necessarily these big peaks that you might imagine, but um, yeah, it's something that I think everyone needs to address, particularly if you have gut issues. And I also, when it comes to like eliminating foods or anything like that, if eliminating a food, avoiding a food is causing you more stress, it's doing you more harm, you know, unless of course it's an allergy or something you have to have to avoid. If going through that process is causing more stress, it's probably going to make your symptoms worse. That is such a good point. Yes, that is such a good point. So I see this a lot where we can sometimes demonize a certain food thinking that's the cause of all of these issues. And it can almost become like a self-fulfilling prophecy where you believe something is making you sick and it might not necessarily be making you sick or causing your symptoms with your IBS, but because you're telling yourself that, it's almost like you've prepared yourself to feel unwell and there's that connection, right, between like the gut and the brain. And so then you potentially are going to have issues with your gut because you're stressed about eating the food that maybe wasn't actually going to exacerbate your stomach. Yes, absolutely. I see it every single day and you can stress yourself into a reaction by thinking, I can't eat this meal full of gluten. That's going to give me a reaction. Uh, Your stress will cause a reaction, not necessarily the food. Uh, Yeah, 100%. Yeah, I'm, I'm just thinking about like my journey with um, nutrition and with gut health. And I used to, so I was a vegan for a good like three years. And throughout that time, I had terrible digestion, super bloated all the time. Like I had a lot of issues with um, just all of it. IBS really flared up. And I realized for me, that I was way over consuming fiber. So I thought I was making the right decisions. I was cutting out quote unquote like processed bad foods, right? And really just living off whole foods. However, 
for me and my system, I was just overdoing it. And so my poor digestive system just couldn't keep up with the amount of fiber that I was consuming, which was a significant amount, way more that's recommended. But I thought I was making the right decisions where I had to cut it back. And now I know once I hit a certain amount of fiber, I start to feel like my stomach flares up and I'm really bloated. So I know I need to stick under a certain amount of fiber. That for me works. Even though the food that I'm eating, those foods are fantastic and, and really good for you. You still need to figure out what works for you. And it's not just as simple as, you know, I suppose cutting out a certain food group and adding in ones that are healthy, right? Because like we said, it can differ from person to person. Absolutely. Um, I think any kind of increase in fiber, any kind of vegan diet, particularly if it comes on rapidly or quickly can cause a spike in symptoms. If you are, or if you have a low fiber diet, we always increase that very slowly. And I do find that quite commonly as well. And there's kind of an upper limit and it's about finding what works for your body and finding that limit. Um, but too much fiber can cause issues, too low fiber can cause issues. So starting somewhere in the middle and just building it up. Like most things, right? Extreme on both ends is usually no good. It's always somewhere in the middle where the sweet spot is. Um, I yeah. want to just delve a little bit into under-consuming. So I guess for a lot of the listeners of this podcast that come from a history of really following low-calorie diets in a way to be able to lose weight, and a lot of these um, women that we work with do have a lot of digestive issues and feel bloated all of the time. As a dietitian, is there a correlation between under-consuming chronically and under-eating and having a, either a slow digestive system or having those IBS symptoms? Massively. In the majority of eating disorder clients or eating disorder history, there will be digestive issues that can take quite a while for that to recover um, or, you know, outside of eating disorders just undernourishing or not eating enough can slow everything down slows your digestive system down um, so it's a bit of a process to kind of heal that and work your way back from that um, certainly yeah I guess it's like um, if you think about it if you're giving your body and correct me if I'm wrong here but if you're giving your body less food I suppose it doesn't need to to be digesting food as much as it would or the volume of food as it would if you were eating more and so is is that the reason why it potentially sort of just becomes sluggish or is it what you referred to earlier around being in that state of stress is obviously if you're struggling with you know potential disordered eating or you know you're chronically under eating you're feeling hungry all the time and you're not honoring that hunger that um that stress right that mental stress is then preventing Oh, is then causing the issues with your digestion? Like, could it be a mixture of both, both or is it? Yeah. yeah, both. I think there's so many factors that come into it. So simply putting less food through, things are going to slow down. That chronic state of stress, you're going to be in a state of stress all the time, so your digestion is kind of not really working. Um, having less food in the system, you're feeding less of your gut bugs, less of your gut microbiome, so that diversity is going to go down. You're going to be processing less that way, and when you start adding it back in, they're going to have a little feeding party and have to build that. Um, tolerance up as well um, there's probably even now that I think of it some of your dig your digestive enzymes will probably decrease as well so things like lactase lactase breaks down lactose if you don't have lactase for a long time or lactose for a long time that lactase enzyme will decrease so you almost create lactose intolerance right and with um 
So when, say if you've got, I've got someone or myself, I've been cutting out certain food groups for a long period of time or I've been under eating and I decide I want to start to eat more or I'm going to start implementing a new food group, which would probably be similar to the women that you work with, people that you work with that are following a FODMAP diet because if you have IBS, which we can touch on FODMAPs in a moment, but that's about, from what I understand, is cutting out certain food groups or certain foods that are high in FODMAPs and then reintroducing them at some point to see which ones are sort of exacerbating your digestive system. So if someone was in the position where they were having a lot of issues with their digestion, um, but they had cut out a lot of foods, is, is it really important to slowly integrate that food back in or is there some kind of a process that would ensure that, you know, you're not making your symptoms of IBS any worse? Yeah, so there'll be a couple of ways that I'll probably approach this. The first one would be, you know, if you've cut a bunch of foods out and your symptoms are in a good place, we might do some structured food challenges. So the FODMAP ones specifically, how they're just their basic ones are designed. Um, they're designed over three days and you do a small portion on day one, a moderate portion on day two and a larger portion on day three. So in that way, you're building yourself into that challenge and not getting, you know, throwing a massive portion at yourself. We're finding those thresholds, how much you can actually tolerate. And then we're reintroducing at that portion that you can tolerate. So if you pass day one and day two, then I'll get that food group and I'll put it back in at a, at a moderate amount um, and then would leave the larger portions for now. If you tolerate day one, but then have symptoms on day two, then we will start even smaller and kind of put them back in. Your body can adapt fairly quickly. So it really depends on the person. If they're like motivated and ready to go and just want to get these foods back in, we might move a little bit quicker. But if you have severe digestive symptoms and you're quite anxious about it, then yeah, moving slowly will help. The key really is getting it back in. The longer that you avoid it, the more like the more harm it's going to do. So even if it's a small amount, let's get the small amount back in. I think that that's a really positive step towards the right direction. Okay, cool. So mm. let's actually delve in a little bit more to FODMAPs and what FODMAPs are. So I think everyone knows what IBS is, irritable bowel syndrome. I think we're all pretty well educated on that. And like you were saying, obviously it affects a pretty large percentage of the population. And is it true that it does affect women more than it affects men? Yes. So it's about, I think it's 1.5 times more common in women. Similar with research, you know, do women get help more? Do women you know, report it more, that probably has a factor to it. Uh, I know for myself, like I run an IBS Instagram account and I think like 95% of my followers are women. So women are definitely out there looking for it more, um, but it is more common in women as well. I do wonder as well if there is a link between um, issues like PCOS, endometriosis, which I know can affect the gut, right? And obviously females are the only ones that are going to suffer with that. Um, and also having babies because I don't know why but all of my friends and myself after having a kid and I'm sorry I'm going a bit off topic here but it's it's interesting to me that um I had a lot of digestive issues but then potentially actually going back to the stress part could have been stress not getting enough sleep um but yeah I wonder if that's got something to do with the fact that women have more issues with their digestion so many factors to it so number one hormones definitely 
Um, number two, after giving birth, your pelvic floor. So if you have given birth, if you struggle with digestive symptoms, I refer most of my clients to a pelvic floor physiotherapist or a physical therapist um, because the muscles in that nerves, the muscles and the nerves in that area do definitely get damaged. And it's really common to have particularly constipation. I see quite a lot. Um, the muscles and the nerves just aren't communicating very well and not opening essentially. So um, definitely pelvic floor, definitely hormones, definitely stress, you know, lack of sleep after that time as well. Um, all of those factors play into it. Joys of being a mum, hey, you're going to grow up for nine months, you're going to give birth to it, and then you can't go to the toilet for another six months. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no, it's wonderful, but it's, it is interesting, isn't it, to see that correlation, the connection between the two. So let's dive into FODMAPs. So what is a FODMAP diet? If someone does have IBS and their doctor, I know I was prescribed to try the FODMAP diet, what is a quick overview of what it is and how it can help IBS? Yeah, absolutely. So FODMAPs are groups of carbohydrates. They are found in lots of foods that we eat. Essentially, what these, what these, one of the reasons that FODMAPs trigger symptoms in IBS, how we digest them. So they're not fully digested or absorbed in the system. That is completely normal across everyone, whether you have IBS or not. When you eat them, they go down to, through the digestive system, they reach the small intestine and they start drawing in water. They then move to the large intestine where the bacteria there start feeding on them, fermenting them and producing gas. So by the time they're sitting in the large intestine, they're holding onto water, producing gas, and that can get trapped in the gut. That can cause a lot of bloating. That can trigger your nerve endings. Again, with that miscommunication up to the brain, the brain feels that stretching and sends a signal back saying this is painful. Um, So that's one of the main, there is other reasons as well, but that's one of the main reasons that FODMAPs trigger symptoms. The thing with FODMAPs is most of them are prebiotic fibers because they're feeding that gut bacteria, which is a positive thing. So we don't want to cut them out, all of them out. We don't want to cut them out long-term because we actually need them in the diet. So what the low FODMAP diet is, it's a three-phase elimination diet. It's designed to help you pinpoint if and which FODMAP, which FODMAP groups trigger your symptoms. So there's lots of different groups. Um, with the process, the elimination phase is only two to six weeks. So it's actually quite short. The elimination phase, we reduce all of those high FODMAP and moderate FODMAP foods out of the diet and essentially see if your symptoms improve. If your symptoms improve, we go, great, you're on the right track. Let's move into some structured challenges. There are about six to 10 challenges, depending on how many you do. Um, We go through all of those food challenges. A lot of the time, my clients might react to one to three challenges. So it's not not like you're going to react to all 10. And then we really focus on bringing that variety back, getting as much back into the diet as possible. um, Because again, that flexibility, that variety, those prebiotic fibers are so, so important for not only mental health, but physical health, your gut microbiome as well. Okay, so you take out foods that are really high in FODMAPs and then it's the challenge of reintroducing some of those foods back to see if you get a flare-up, yeah? Yeah, Yeah. so you do, they're like separated into the different FODMAP groups. So, for example, we'll do like a lactose challenge, then we'll do a fructose challenge, and then we'll do some other groups. And we want to know, like, are you reacting to those different FODMAP groups? And with that information, we then know which ones to reintroduce and which ones to leave out for now. Okay, so what happens if, for example, broccoli, right? I figure out we reintroduce broccoli because I know that's high in FODMAPs, isn't it? Is it? It's got a, so broccoli's got a low FODMAP serve. So it's low FODMAP at 75 grams of half a cup, um, but high, larger amounts will be high FODMAP. Okay, well, let's, let's choose a higher FODMAP food. What about like surely beans are? 
Like yeah, so like red kidney beans, black yeah. beans. Yeah. Okay. Let's take let's take that as an example. So if mm-hmm. I reintroduce that into my diet, I figure out, oh, I get really bloated. This is causing me, you know, like whatever symptoms. Yeah. What is the process? Like, do I need to cut out that food indefinitely, or is there a process of being able to reintroduce that? And then I guess, like, how does that work? So if we can reintroduce it, how mm-hmm. is it that it can at some point, like at one point when I was consuming it, it would cause me all these issues. When I reintroduce it, is there the potential that it won't actually give me any flare-ups? Yes. So um, lots of different ways to kind of do it. The first would be just starting really small. So if we can reintroduce one tablespoon of beans, if you can add one tablespoon of beans to your lunch every day for the week or for the month, then think that's a positive step towards building that tolerance. And then next month we might go to two tablespoons. So essentially it's just like a step-by-step procedure of, of increasing that food. Firstly, to find your tolerance and then kind of push the boundary a little bit. So a little bit of bloating, a little bit of gas is not a bad thing. It's a, it's a positive sign of your guts, your gut bacteria feeding. And then um, after that, so why it changes. One, we can build up that tolerance by building up your gut microbiome. Two, just life changes. So if your stress changes, uh, that's going to have a different impact on it. If your routine changes, that's going to have a different impact on it. If you're particularly struggling with constipation, then if clearing up the constipation will help as well and help you to be able to tolerate those foods more. Um, there's so many factors that kind of come into it. One outside of diet, one thing I always recommend as well is gut hypnotherapy. So if you go through gut hypnotherapy, that can help change that gut brain communication we're talking about. And then you'll probably have a higher tolerance for food again after that. That sounds interesting. What is gut? What is that? Hypnotherapy. Yeah. So gut hypnotherapy. Um, how do I explain gut hypnotherapy? It is different ways to do it. You can go see a trained psychologist in it where you do one-on-one sessions. Um, and it's about going into, you don't go into like a state of hypnosis, like you would see in a movie or anything like that. It's more just a, like a dream state where they use suggestions and imagery and they work on changing that communication. So what it's really doing is calming that digestive system. So um, it's no longer sending that signal of pain that we were talking about. So it turns down that signal so that when you have normal digestive processes, the brain doesn't go, oh, that's painful, that bloating's bad. And it changes that communication. You can do it. You can do it via, um, yeah, trained psychologists. Or there's a couple of apps that you can do it for at home. Um, so there's one that I often recommend called Nerva. It's like a six-week um, program that you do at home. It's about 15 minutes of meditation per day. Their research around gut hypnotherapy is similar to low FODMAP in, in the sense that it helps up to about 80% of people. Wow. If you have like background of eating disorder or disordered eating, then instead of going on low FODMAP or restrictive diet, then I always, always recommend doing gut hypnotherapy first. That is really interesting. So it's essentially like you would go, say, um, to a hypnotherapy or to get hypnotherapy done if you wanted to quit smoking. So it's the same, essentially the same um I guess foundation you're just really focusing it more on your digestion is that correct yeah yeah very similar um I think the difference would be I'd make sure that they're a trained psychologist in IBS rather than kind of any hypnotist uh there's specific psychologists that are trained in it and is that kind of becoming um a common thing like is it easy to find someone that is trained in that because I personally have never heard of that in my life (laughs) 
That's super it's, interesting. But uh, there's not a lot of psychologists. There's a couple of big centres in Australia that do do it. So there's a few in like Melbourne and Sydney and Brisbane and they do offer online consults as well. So I often give that information to my clients. The apps are probably the more convenient option because it is something you can do from home. Uh, it, they do use the same um, protocols and evidence-based you know, processes. Uh, so yeah, the apps, would I would say the easiest way to do it. That is very interesting. And I guess it's a good way to commit without having to really financially commit um, to see if you like it. And then if it's working for you, then I guess taking it up a level or seeking someone yeah. who can do it professionally for yeah. you. Yeah, so the app, the Nerva app, it does a free week trial. So you can do the free week trial, see how you feel. And then it's about $100 for the six weeks. So it's a lot cheaper than seeing a psychologist yeah. in person. A lot, it's low, it's so low risk. Like you're not cutting anything out of your diet. You're not doing anything risky. It's just some meditation sessions from home. The key with it is really doing it consistently and sticking it out for the six weeks. And can you spell the name of that? Sorry, it's Nerva. Yeah, it's like Nerva, so N-E-R-V-A. Nerva. Okay, cool. All right. We'll make note of that. I'm going to give that a go. So yeah. I guess um, to round things up, really appreciate your time. If we have someone or you had someone come up to you um, who said, look, I'm feeling bloated all of the time, no matter what I eat from the moment I wake up to the moment I go to sleep, I have cramping, I feel blah, you know, I feel bloated and like I'm retaining fluid. I just feel big and it doesn't matter what I eat. I feel bloated constantly. What would be your piece of advice for that person to move forward with to be able to address those symptoms that they're having? Mm -hmm. Uh, I mean, first and foremost, I'm always going to be on the safe side and say, see, doctor, you know, digestive symptoms can be a sign of other things like celiac disease or inflammatory bowel disease. So checking with your doctor, make sure that that's ruled out. From a diet point of view, there's not really one one thing that you could probably take away. I think everyone is so unique. So I know it's generic, but see a dietitian that <laughs> specializes in the area. Um, if you're constipated, address the constipation. Like that is the biggest cause of bloating that I do see it would be constipation. Don't cut foods out. Don't, you know, do anything drastic, like address the constipation, do some strategies around that. Um, if then, if the constipation has gone and the bloating is still there, then there's try gut hypnotherapy, or then we'll look at diet and there's so many factors that come into it that we could look at it's always so hard to answer i'm sorry that's it's a hard one to answer yeah a very annoying question i get similar for my business how much should i be eating what should i exercise i should be doing yeah. it's always it depends right it depends yeah. on the person i did i did um i did a presentation last week for someone and i did a like a live last week on bloating and i did eight reasons for bloating and even that, I was trying to condense it down to eight reasons. I'm like, I could do 20 reasons why yeah. you're bloated. And that's where it comes into that personalized advice and really looking at what's actually happening and figuring out what's causing it for yourself and addressing it. Yeah. Okay. So Crystal, if someone wants to know more about your services, what do you offer? I know you're on Instagram and you provide such great valuable content on there. And I'll link your Instagram account as well in the show notes. But if you want to tell us a little bit about how people can get in contact with you um, and how you can help them. Yeah. 
So Instagram's the best way. So that's my main, um, my main kind of avenue. You can contact me. So I'm at IBS FODMAP dietitian, uh, send me a message, you know, go through my content. I've got heaps of free content on there in terms of how I help clients. I have something called the IBS clarity program. So it's a six month premium coaching program that I help you to find symptom relief, pinpoint those food triggers, increase that variety in your diet and really find that freedom from your food, freedom from your body uh, so that you no longer you know, IBS or gut issues don't rule your life anymore. In that program, we work together over the six months. We have one-on-one private appointments. It's all via Zoom. So I do work with people all over the country and all over the world. Uh, We have my online program, which is a combination of video lessons and worksheets and resources, kind of everything you need to know. And then we have email check-ins and weekly support. So I check in every single week and guide you through that entire program. um, So you get the absolute best results, not just for that symptom relief now, but we're looking at really long-term. Amazing. It sounds incredible. And I love the fact that it's all customized and personalized because like we've touched on so much with your digestion, right? It's going to differ from person to person. So having that approach. Yeah. Yeah. And there's so much so much information online about this, so much misinformation and so much general and incorrect advice that it, I think it just has to be personalized in this space to really find what works for your body. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you so much for your time. I've loved our conversation. I've learned heaps. Thank you so much for having me. My absolute pleasure. That is a wrap guys. I loved having that conversation with Crystal. I learned so much. I'm sure that was of a lot of value to you all as well. If you did enjoy it, take a screenshot of it, share it on your story, send it to a friend, someone that needs to hear it. And if you're not already, make sure you are following us on Spotify. You've subscribed to the podcast in Apple Podcasts or whatever podcast listening platform you use. All right, guys, that is enough from me. Big love, Coach Tash.